0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. Don't forget top of the hour, Craig Simpson from HockeyNet in Canada. We'll uh, talk about Game Five tonight. The Vegas Golden Knights looking to close out against the Florida Panthers. Ian Mendez on the Ottawa Senators sale to Michael and Lauer and Vince Mercogliano. Uh, From Loha.com and USA Today on the uh, the impending signing, we're just waiting, I suppose, Uh, Peter Laviolette with the New York Rangers. Uh, Yesterday's coaching news revolved around my next guest. He is Ryan Huska, the new head coach of the Calgary Flames. Ryan, thanks so much uh, for being here today. How are you 24 hours after the big press conference?
2: Yeah, I'm well, Jeff. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you for having me on the show today.
1: Well, the, the pleasure is mine and uh, a lot to get to here. And I want to I talk about the word loyalty here in a couple of seconds, because when I look yeah. at your career, that's the one thing that amongst others sort of stands out to me. But uh, what was it like yesterday? I mean, this is something that, you know, coaches dream about. There's only 32 of these jobs, as we keep hearing as well. What's that feeling like? And, you know, when you first you know, uh, found out that you, got, that you got the job, who were your first thoughts to?
2: Yeah, that's uh. it's funny that you you brought that up. I mean, I've driven from my house to the arena now for, for five years, um, and it's the same thing. You pass the same people, you pass the same buildings and the traffic, but this ride in yesterday was different because yeah. you do. I spent a lot of time reflecting back, and it's almost like at times you're missing a turn because you're, your head is somewhere else, but um, you don't get here without a, a lot of help along the way. And I feel very fortunate that I've worked for some, some great organizations and some great people um, that have helped put me in this position to be able to to take this next step and, and be the head coach of the Calgary Flames. So it's something I'm very proud of. And uh, yesterday was a very special day for me and my family, for sure.
1: Um, it, it, it seemed that way very much uh, let me get to the loyalty question here because yeah. that seems to be the hallmark of your of your coaching career I mean in, in junior you were a Kamloops Blazer I mean no need to request a trade when you're winning three Memorial Cups in a row and so that one seemed kind of uh, ca- kind of obvious with the juggernaut team that you were on um, but then with the Colorado Rockets organization for I think it was 12 years consistently and then with the Calgary Flames organization which in- includes the uh, includes uh, Stockton as well um for another nine years um how much does that mean to you like i'm curious like your personal makeup here because i remember having conversations uh when bob mccowan used to work with us and whenever we'd ask bob mccowan for career advice he would always ask the same thing he would say when anyone's in a contract negotiation he would say first thing are you happy and the answer was usually yes and he would say well here's my rule to you don't f with happy if you're happy, find a way to stay. Uh, and you always stayed yeah. with Kelowna and you've always stayed with Calgary. When I say loyalty, what does that mean to Ryan Huska?
2: Well, and you know, you talked about your story with Bob there. For me, uh, I was told at a young age that when you're whatever business that you're in, you want to work for good people that care about you. Um, and as a young guy, even in junior hockey playing in Kamloops, you, you mentioned it, we had teams that were unreal and they were great guys to play with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but from the top of the organization down, they cared about you. And as a young guy, you felt that. Um, and then when I had a chance to, I guess when I, I quit playing and I went back to school, I, you know, I, I held my end of the bargain up. Um, I made a, made a deal with my dad that if i was still playing in the minors at 25, I would pack it in and I would go back to school. And that's what I did. Um, and I had an opportunity to, to work part-time with the Kelowna Rockets organization while I was going to school. And when you're looking at it, um, everybody just kept talking about the Hamilton family. Um, And I went back again to my thoughts Mm -hmm. about, you want to work for good people. And it didn't take long for me to recognize that this was really good people. I mean, their family um, were fantastic and they stayed with me. Uh, When you think about loyalty on, on my part, there's loyalty the other way as well. I mean, there's a few years at the beginning where our team was a little bit up and down as I was learning my way. Um, but Bruce Hamilton and his family trusted me, and I always wanted to make sure I was in a position that I could somewhere down the, the road, um, you know, give back a little bit to them. And it was important for me. So I, I was, I loved my time there, and I stayed there for a long time, and we had success there. And I ultimately think because I worked for a good person there, I got an opportunity to work for a good organization here. So Bruce in particular helped me when there was a few decisions that I had to make about who was um, maybe interested at at the time when I decided to leave junior hockey and and coach professionally. He helped me with that along the way. And he talked about how good the organization in Calgary was and how quality the people were that were within that organization. And I soon found out that it was exactly the same way. Um, The moment I met Brad Treleving um, and what he means to me to this day, And his management group at the time gave me that opportunity and stuck with me uh, to the point where they believed in me and and kept bringing me along like they have. And now um, you're able to build relationships with Craig Conroy and other people that are in this organization. And everybody has the same trend. They're really good people that um, care about you and they want everybody to have success. And that's what's important to me. So my long-winded story is loyalty is very important, but it most definitely (laughs) goes both ways. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well let, let me ask about about title and and personality as well. Um there have been many examples where an assistant coach has taken the head coaching job. And it has worked spectacularly. And I think of someone like Larry Robinson, for example, with the New Jersey Devils. Um, there have been situations where it hasn't always worked, and it seemed as if, hang on a second, you know, you know, th- this guy last week was, you know, inviting me to barbecues at his house, and now he's, you know, bag skating and, and healthy, he's scratching me now that he's the head coach. Um, have you thought much about that, about how, like, does your personality have to change? Uh, there are certain responsibilities as a head coach that you have that you didn't have um, previously how much how much thought have you given to you know who you need to be now that you have a new title
2: yeah i jeff i i have given it a lot of thought and and for me it's there's going to be different responsibilities that i have and the way that i um approach and sit down with the players will now be on a little bit different of a level but it won't change who i am or or how i believe i should act in front of them because if i do they're going to see right through that um and ultimately, that's not me. I can't be someone that I'm not. And I worked with some amazing people here in Calgary um, that all have had different thought processes on how the game should be played, different methods of communication, uh, and I learned so much from them. But I am who I am, and I'm my own person. And the players that know me uh, are going to know the guy that they're getting. Um, yes, they're going to be challenged in a little bit different way, but I'm not going to change my my personality or how I. Um, ultimately deal with with players now because of of this new role
1: Uh, with Ryan Huska head coach of the Calgary Flames uh, as announced officially yesterday what do you think this Flames team because listen you know all these athletes so what do you not coming into a new organization here what do you think these athletes need from you
2: Well, one thing always, and I think it is a plus, really. I mean, we we just talked about the assistant to head coach. Um, I think it is a plus that I am familiar with with these these players, and I have a good relationship with a lot of them, Um, and I have to continue to work on that along the way to find exactly how um, we can help them become um, better players. But really what I think they will look for out of me is they want to see a guy that's prepared. And that's one of the things I always take pride in. And then I think the other thing, Jeff, is that there's consistency in what I'm going to do. Um, They don't want to come to the rink every day wondering what my mood's going to be like or or how I'm going to react. They have to know what Mm -hmm. they're going to get from me. And then I have to make sure that I hold them to a standard. And and once you get to that point and it happens early on, there is no more questions about it. It's just the, the relationship that players have with the coach from that point forward. So uh, I'm quite excited about it. We have a we have an excellent group of players here that want to win. Um, and they're going to come back to Calgary when it's time for the seasons to start with a, a great mindset. And there's going to be a great enthusiasm around here. And I know we're going to get the best out of a lot of our guys.
1: You know, there's uh, there's one coach I know that's been around uh, a number of different NHL teams, and every time I talk to him when he interviews, he says, I always ask the same question first. And I said, what's that? And he says, who's our goaltender? Um, <laughs> did you have a first question for Craig Conroy? And if so, what was your first question for Craig Conroy?
2: Um, that's a good question. I had a lot of questions, and he had a lot of me. Um, you know, Whether it was my first question or not, we we talked about leadership. Um, We talked about environment. We talked about expectations that were going to be placed upon me and and what the expectations were of the organization. Um, So there was a lot. I guess if I was someone coming from the outside the goaltending question might have been a good one but with me with with me being here and knowing the guys that we have in this organization that is not a question for me because there is a massive amount of trust in the people that we have here I think the world of our guys and I, I I feel like we're in very good shape in that department so that was the least of my concerns (laughs)
1: <laughs> is it uh, do, you, do you think Ryan that this team needs an official captain someone with the uh, the letter on the sweater
2: yeah I do I do for uh, the short answer on that one is I do I mean um, leadership to me and maybe I'll say like the three things that I learned the most my last number of years in the NHL is how hard it is to win I mean the parity in the league and the type of players are it, it's incredible the second thing is the environment that you want to have your players and staff work in Uh, And then then it's the importance of leadership and that's um, not just leadership from a player standpoint, but that's from management to coaches, coaches to players. It's, it's all the way through up and down the ladder. Um, But I do think it's very important for the players to have a guy that they know and they can trust that will come in and, and, you know, raise concerns with us or give ideas to us. Um, And that player has to be comfortable in his ability or his own skin to be able to do that. And on the flip side, um, Connie and I and the rest of the coaching staff and management group have to be comfortable going to him and, one, challenging him, and then, two, making sure that what we discuss, he's going to bring that message back to the guys because ultimately it's a very important job if you want to have that connection between the players' room and our room, Uh, and a lot of that falls on the shoulders of who you choose as your captain. So we have a lot of great people here. Um, that will get consideration for this, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to them, and we're gonna have a lot of discussions internally here, and we're gonna come up with the best person for the job.
1: You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. We we've talked about it before that you know Michael Backlund, um, it's believed would really like uh, to be captain of this team. I'm sure there's other players uh, on the roster as well who'd like to captain the Calgary Flames. Have any of them come to you? Uh, and said, "Hey, you know what? This is uh, th- th- this is uh, this is a responsibility I'd like to handle."
2: Um, not uh, not specifically Jeff in regarding um, being the captain. I, a lot of them have talked about leadership and and how they can help our team for sure. Um, we have had conversations with guys about that already, which is it's great for me and it's great for us to hear that there's a lot of people that feel like they can help in that department. And, and you brought up Michael Backlund and. The one thing that's always impressed me, and I was lucky enough to be around him when he was 19 years of age for a couple months, when when he was yep. playing with the Kelowna Rockets. And from that day, you could see the professionalism that he had, and still to this day, um, I always uh, he makes me smile when I run into him on a lot of game day, and really, it's every day for that matter. His routine and how he handles himself is impressive. Like he'll be up at a certain time in the morning, um, down for breakfast at a certain time. He goes for a walk with his coffee at a certain time. He thinks about the game at a certain time. And he always puts himself and his teammates in a position to succeed. So uh, when you're looking at at guys to wear that leadership type of role, um, those are things that you look for. Uh, And Michael's done a very good job of that along the way. and, And he's an important person to our team.
1: Um, that's high praise uh, from Michael Backlund and, and well-deserved. Like, I, I just bluntly, I, I think he's one of the more underrated players in the NHL. Uh, I'm with you. I had a lot of time from Michael Backlund. Um, let, let me finish with, with this one, Ryan. Um, complete this sentence for me. I know this might be a tricky one. You're just taking the job, but here we go. The Calgary Flames will be successful next season if blank
2: i think the calgary flames will be successful next season if everybody comes in in shape and with the right attitude and we come together as a team right away that's the most important thing for me is that this group of guys um um, really believes in each other and really does a good job of connecting early on so they learn how to play hard for each other long-winded answer for for you again
1: That's that's okay. Hey, listen, I'm I'm in the talk radio business. I don't want the uh, the two word answers. Trust me, it's you're uh, you're you're a your talk radio host dream. Uh, Ryan, listen, thanks so much for for this. Congratulations uh, again on the nod. Uh, very much look forward to seeing what uh, what you and Craig can come up with uh, for next season. Uh, be well, enjoy the summer, and uh, we'll talk again next season, my friend.
2: Hey, thanks, Jeff, for having me. I appreciate this. It was a lot of fun.
1: Anytime, Ryan Huska is the uh, head coach of the Calgary Flames. Uh, as announced yesterday. Um, you know, it's uh, it's an interesting situation there with uh, with Calgary, and it's a very sensitive time, as we can all appreciate with Calgary. Uh, Craig Conroy has a lot of decisions he has to make, a lot on the horizon. Um, Elliot reported on the weekend about Noah Hannafin and a lot of interest there. There'll be a lot of interest but a lot of Calgary Flames uh, players who are on expiring deals. Uh, I don't think the Flames, and Craig Conroy has already mentioned this, have any desire to go through another uh, Johnny Gaudreau situation where they let an elite player uh, walk for nothing. Um, I, I think there's going to be some candid and bold uh, conversations with a lot of players, whether it's Tyler Toffoli, whether it's Backlund, who we just mentioned a second ago, uh, whether it's Lindholm, whether it's Tanev. I just you know, uh, mentioned Noah Hannafin and Elliott's report on the weekend. I think there's going to be some really blunt conversations, which is, do you want to be here or do we need to find another address for you. There are a lot of interesting teams this offseason. There's going to be a lot of interesting teams, I think around the draft as well. I was just having a conversation with someone from another team this morning who said just bluntly, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of trades at the draft, just looking at the landscape and knowing that the salary cap is going to be flat. That maybe the way the teams uh, look to, to redo their squad here is more through trades than free agent signings because quite bluntly, teams won't have the cap space to do it. Um, So I think Calgary is going to be a fascinating team. Uh, I am really curious now to see um, what Huska does with this squad. And, you know, the the interesting thing about interviewing a coach, uh, a new coach, is everything that that coach said kind of gets filtered sometimes through the lens of the coach that was there before. And... We all knew that there was a certain mood around the team when Daryl Sutter was the head coach. It wasn't the happiest place to be. It wasn't full of, you know, sunshine and lollipops and fun and, hey, I can't wait to get to the rink. You know, other people have have remarked upon this as well, whether it's, you know, Kelly Rudy, who's there all the time uh, and covers the team and is, is part of the broadcast crew or various, you know, reporters that are on the ground or guys like me that host radio and podcasts. That isn't exactly a secret. Huska is more of a positive person. And as you can hear in the interview, uh, a lot of energy, a lot of positivity, really excited about the job. Um, That can be infectious. uh, There's a lot of heavy lifting here, you know, get Jonathan Huberto back to the level that he was at previous. Um, Maybe something with the netminders here as well. Uh, but I think the first order of business is over to Craig Conway and figure out who's going to be on this team and who's not. All our right, RR2 is coming up in the m- a couple of moments. Uh, thanks to Ryan Husker for stopping by, by the way, and the Flames, uh, thank you for making him available. Ian Mendez on the Ottawa sale of Vince Cogliano on the Rangers' coaching situation. And up next on Game 5, he is Craig Simpson from Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet. Does. Phil Pritchard with the white gloves come out tonight at T-Mobile Arena. Ooh. Tune in to find out. Merrick show continues. Keep it here.
0: The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Okay, welcome back to the program. Hour 2. will bring with it Ian Mendez, who comes up here in about 15 minutes' time. We'll talk about the Ottawa Senators' sale. Still needs to be approved by the NHL. Uh, Michael Andlauer, uh, expected to become the next owner of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, we'll talk to Ian about all the issues that fall from that announcement this morning. Uh, Vince Mercogliano from USA Today. And lohud.com. Uh, it it seems as if, and they haven't made it official yet, but very much inching towards. And reports again, Elliot was was on top of this one from from day one. Uh, reports nudging more towards Peter Laviolette uh, than away from him. Looks like he. It, excuse me. His tour, <laughs> his tour through the Metropolitan Division will continue. Uh, with now a stop with the uh, the new york rangers we'll talk to vince coming up towards the bottom of the hour uh in the meantime i believe we have craig simpson aboard from hockey in canada and the nhl on sports it is game five uh tonight and the cup is in the building and pritchard with the white gloves from the hall of fame will be in the building all kinds of questions and i would imagine the local market is looking for history to be made this evening craig simpson joins me now craig how are you We're trying to on ramp Craig Simpson here. Let's talk about Game Five. All right, we'll uh, we'll stand by for Craig Simpson, who's uh, poised to join us here as soon as we get him on a on a better line. Craig's joining us. Oh, we have Craig. Craig, you there?
3: I am. Yes. Hopefully, I'll stay. I'm. I, I'm only in my hotel room, but shockingly, the my cell service is terrible. Actually, so <laughs> I hope I stay uh, on. Okay. Well.
1: Uh, I think we all do. I know I certainly do because I love talking to you. Um, let me get your... I'm, I'm curious about tonight's game and it, and it seems as if as much as, you know, it seems like we're on the verge of history and I'll get your thoughts on the the history, albeit brief, of the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, so much of tonight's Yo. game is going to revolve around how healthy the Florida Panthers are and we wonder about Kachuk and we wonder about Cousins and if neither can go does Bobrovsky need to have the game of a lifetime and channel his inner Wa Belfour, Brodeur, <laughs> Dryden, Perrant etc to send this thing back to Sunrise how are you looking at tonight's game Craig
3: well, I think you you start with the goaltending for sure. This is one of those games where you look to a guy that uh, you know, gives you the confidence that you need, gives you the strength to be an underdog team and, and find a way to win. If if is anything but spectacular, uh I I think it's a tough task. Uh I, you know, injuries as you know, Jeff, uh, you get this far into the playoffs. Every game is uh, a bit of a crapshoot. Who's going to come out of it feeling like they can play Uh, the next one? You know everybody's banged up, but without question, uh, you just just watch the way that Kachuk's played. Uh, Forget about even just maybe strength-wise up top. I I think he hasn't really skated all that well, and that's a challenge for him at best anyway. So um, I I think it's a tall task to say – you're going to get the kind of guy that you would hope to have had and what he's playing at his best. But you know what? This is what playoffs are all about. You you try to do the best you can. Uh, coach then has to make a tough decision. You know, am I hurting the team by putting you out there? And uh, that's going to be probably the biggest and the, and the toughest decision that's going to happen for him uh, come game time. So I don't think there's any question, though. If you get a goaltending performance that uh, – you know, gives yourself an opportunity and, and shuts down your opponent. You know, maybe Bobrovsky himself can yeah. be the guy who can, can pull them into a, a game set.
1: Listen, he per, he performs well when he has rest, and this has been the extra day between 4 and 5 here, and we've, we've seen him with the yeah. heroics before. Having said that, Vegas has done just a, just a tremendous job taking his eyes away, getting in front. I mean, Craig, you were a player that... Uh, that that got in front of goaltenders, that took the punishment to get in front of goaltenders, and and Vegas is yeah. is very much that team as well. When you look at this Vegas squad, and they are they are deep, and they are talented, and they are tough and it almost seems as if they can play the game any way you want, and they have a blue line where everyone is, you know, between 6-2 and 6-6. I mean, it's it's an imposing task here for the Florida Panthers, but when you look at the Vegas Golden Knights, just a wide-brush thought, what jumps to your mind right away? Like, what stands out about Vegas to you, Craig?
3: I, I just think depth, as you were saying, uh, you don't really have a line that, you know, I know you got a number-one center in Ico, but... You look at their top three lines and say, uh, you know, Bruce Cassidy even said, we like to think we have, you know, three number one lines that we can kind of go out and play against. They can play a matchup game against almost anybody. Their fourth line can play a matchup game, so you're not hiding them. And uh, I just think that the fact that even you sit on the back end, you've got big defensemen, but you've also got the like, Alex Martinez, Martinez is playing the least of uh, the six guys. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's, it's a unique yeah. situation where, as a coach in the Stanley Cup Finals, you're, you're really not hiding anybody. You're, you're not worried about a matchup that, that you're going to lose. And that's a, that's a pretty uh, mm-hmm. good thing to, to have going into every game, knowing that you can play that type of role. So I think that's what stands out for me. I think they're a really good team. Um, you know, right now, they, this could be a tighter series, I guess. But I, I think it's not by fluke that they're in a position here tonight to, to try to bring this home because I think they've been the better team. Uh, but as you know, Jeff, yeah. this is one of those games where this is going to be interesting to watch and see, can they can they bring that confidence into a, a game where the Stanley Cup could be in the building and it could be yours at the end? I mean, that's the mental part of this uh special game that that is so difficult to control at times Uh, you got a team that's going to be desperate on the other side so uh i'll be really interested to to see how they respond to it tonight
1: so craig i was having a conversation yesterday with darren pang and the conversation turned to the consmite trophy and we all know the names here. And I listen, I, I can't recall the last time we had a Stanley Cup final and there wasn't, you know, there wasn't a clear cut favorite or, clear you know, if, yeah. if not one, yeah. then, you know, t- two two players. But like here, you got a handful of players you can make a case for. Um, the only one that, that Panger wasn't, uh, wasn't agreeing with me on, and that's fine. Um, was Aiden Hill? He thought that okay, you got to go wire to wire if you're going to win the Cons Trophy here, and that's fine. I'll, I'll I'll grant him that. But whether it's Alex Petrangelo or Mark Stone or Jack Eichel or Jonathan Marchessault, I think we'd all be on the same page as saying, yeah, that's a that's a legitimate Consmythe candidate. Let me park it here on Jonathan Marchessault with you. Um, I like stories. I think we all like stories. And for me, it would be really now having said that, if I have a vote, I'm I'm going Eichel. But if it ends up being Jonathan Marchessault, there's something that I really like about, you know, A, well, it's Marchessault against a team that left them exposed in the expansion draft. But someone from the (laughs) Vegas expansion draft winning the Conn Smythe Trophy as Vegas wins the Stanley Cup. As far as, like Craig, as far as stories go, that's a pretty glorious one, no, in hockey?
3: Yeah, it really is, and you, know, you tie that all together uh, at the at the most important time of the year when when everything's on the line. You know, he's had a really good final. He's been a consistent scorer throughout the playoffs, even though you know, goal scoring wise, early on, maybe not in the first seven games, but as it's gotten deeper, I, I think Marshall still has, has so shown that uh, you know he's a good leader on that team. And Bruce Cassidy said and. uh uh, uh, Kelly McCrimmon said too at the press conference at the beginning of the Stanley Cup. You know, he just seems to be that guy when the game's that the biggest, he shows up and he scores big goals. And there's no question that his impact on the first few games of this Stanley Cup final sort of laid the the foundation for them getting off to a good start and making sure they took control of this series. So I, I think he'd be a he'd be a winner that uh, would would. Fit in really well you're right about Eichel I think you know Eichel is an amazing thing too he hasn't scored in 11 games it's kind of hard to think that you could go that long in the playoffs and and not put one in the back of the net and people are still thinking that you're contributing and you could be the cons yeah. like winner so um I I'm I don't I know Panger especially in the goalie position I, I don't disagree with him and on Hill, um, but there's no question that Hill's impact has been there. You know, coming in in the position that he did, and giving them the the stability that they've needed, uh, the confidence. He's been consistent all the way through. He doesn't seem to get rattled. I've been really impressed by him. So he's done his role, but mm-hmm. uh, I would agree with you. I don't. I don't think it's going to be his to win uh, tonight.
1: So my. Um One of my uh, one of my theories on Vegas here is, um, you know, I was talking to Ryan Huska a couple of seconds ago about the nature of loyalty and what loyalty means. And I know that Vegas has been well, and Kelly McCrimmon specifically has been criticized for not being loyal to players. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury was the guy until he wasn't. Uh, Nate Schmidt was the guy until he wasn't. And really popular teammates um, got shown the door in favor of uh, of other players. Um, my point about that with Kelly McCrimmon is that's how general managers act like that's what they do they try to make their teams better to me where I really see loyalty here because you talked about depth a second ago and I agree with you 100% one of the stories about Vegas is how deep they are But the other part of it is, if you look at those bottom six guys, you know, in a world right now in the NHL, and a lot of it's due to the salary cap, where bottom six players shuffle in and shuffle out every season, right? It's like, don't reward that player for that season. Go find someone else who can do it cheaper. That's been the story of the salary cap era. You look at Carrier and Wah and Kolasar and these guys, they've been with this team for like, it's not like shuffling in, shuffling out every year, they've been with the team for like right. three or four seasons. Like there's an identity there. They're part of the team. It's not, you know, like in Toronto, there's the core four and then everybody else shuffling in and shuffling out. Like they've all been there together right. for a long time. And I know it flies in the face of roster construction in a salary cap universe, but it really works. And we're seeing it here with the Vegas Golden Knights. Are you are you buying that? That part of the loyalty here is your yeah, bottom I... six guys have been with you for a long time.
3: Well, I think it shows that when you can find guys that, that do truly fit the role, then you're comfortable in, in in building your team around that. I mean, it's not like you're going from the bottom up, but it it's one where, as I said, from a coach's perspective even, you're looking at your general manager and saying, you're giving me guys that I can play, and you're giving me guys I don't have to hide. Uh, those tough decisions that you said they made. I mean, the Marc-Andre Fleury... Um, moving in and out of star guys because of salary cap problems. I I would say their aggressiveness uh, early on, I think surprised a lot of people and got them into cap, you know, jail earlier than anyone would have thought. So you're right. The general manager's (laughs) job is not to be the most popular guy. It's to make the tough decisions and make the decisions that the, you know, you know, you're going to get criticized on some, but they're necessary to move. So uh, I, I just think that the the balance that they've had and and the consistency of that third and fourth line that so many teams are are trying to put together to have some success. I mean, you can't win the Stanley Cup without it. You can't. Mm-hmm. You look at all the teams that have been yeah. able to um, maybe even be surprise teams throughout playoffs. You, you you need and you have that consistency there. So I I do think it's something that he's built uh, effectively. Uh, you know, you've know, got guys that really feel a part of the team, and I, I think that's what I always love about watching the journey to the Stanley Cup final and to winning the Stanley Cup is the teams come together. You can tell how much every guy means to each other. You're playing for your, your teammate. You're not just playing to win your, for yourself. You can see the commitment uh, down and out through the lineup and the guys playing hard for each other, sure. and I think that's what's so spectacular. and that's what good teams have is they have that kind of depth all the way through their lineup that everybody feels a part of it. Everybody's pulling the rope and everybody at the end of the day, if you win, has a real sense of, of ownership of, of the win. Everybody's put their, their time and their effort in to bring, the, bring it there together.
1: Let me uh l- let me close by asking you something um more personally and this goes back into your career because listen you've you've enjoyed the highest of highs uh in the NHL with the Stanley Cup. Um take us to closeout games. Like what go as a as a player like if you're someone on this Vegas team because you've you've been that person before Craig. Yeah. What goes through your mind like through the entire day? How tough is it to focus? How tough is it not to get carried away with emotions how important is it just to have a quote unquote regular day like walk us through what these yeah. guys are going through in advance of tonight because you've lived it we haven't what happens
3: Yeah the the sort of anxiousness just continues to grow as the series goes on I mean you start this series thrilled to be in your first Stanley Cup final, right? So there's one sort of measuring stick of saying this is incredible. And uh, as as the playoffs go along, your anxiousness and, you know, your desire becomes so ingrained in every thought and every emotion. But when you all of a sudden get into the final and now you're looking at, we have three wins. We're one win away. I, I just found... It's hard. It's not like it's hard to focus because you've been doing it now for what 21 games they've played to this point. Um, but it's like any human nature. When you want something so bad, it's like you can't hard, hardly get a thought in without uh, trying to go to sleep, and you think, uh, you know, you just you <laughs> desire it so much. So uh, I think it's like when you want something so bad, it's hard to stay razor focused on it. So. I just feel more you, you can't wait to get into the game. um I go back to even nineteen eighty eight you know could hardly sleep in Boston or up three games to none, and you think, okay, tonight's gonna be the night you get playing. and when the lights went out in Boston, honest to god it was it was the most frustrating thing because I gotta go through two more days of this anxiousness and anxiety like oh yep. oh my gosh we got gotta wait yeah. again so uh, that that's why an elimination game is so devastating too, right? Because you're you're going into tonight, and everybody on that Vegas team is thinking, I'm going to be celebrating with my family. My mom and dad are here, you know. My brothers here, my sisters here, my family's all together. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't happen. So the, these clinching games become. Uh, a lot of emotions of so many other things that that's why it's a hard one to to bring to the finish line. And, but I can tell you, it's, it's a, it's a long night it's anxious moments and the excitement just runs through your blood. So uh, it's, it's what you've been dreaming your whole life to do. And uh, I I can only imagine what the guys are thinking here on an afternoon nap and (laughs) getting themselves ready to get going again.
1: (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that one with the were you able to, to nap yeah. the afternoon of closeout and will end on that. Were you able to nap?
3: Yeah, when I was younger it could, it got a little later the naps became less frequent, but it it's hard. It's just a non stop thought in your yeah. head. You know, you're you just can visualize what could happen today and you just can't wait for for the puck to drop and the hockey part's the easy part. It's just the uh, it's the waiting around that is
4: so
1: difficult. <laughs> the hockey part's the easy part. I love that, um, Craig. You're the best. Thanks so much as always for stopping by. Uh, you've lived it. Uh, you've skated it. You've uh, you've sipped from it. Uh, always uh, the Stanley Cup uh, presentation. The Stanley Cup uh, final is always a great time and, and always full of memories. And uh, the call will be great, no doubt. Uh, we'll look forward to it tonight with you and Chris. Thanks as always for stopping by.
3: Thanks, Jeff.
1: Take care. Craig Simpson from uh, Hockey Night in Canada and the NHL on Sportsnet, who, by the way, and I always used to think that the answer to this question was Alex Tongay. When I think of like in the career, like who had the the career highest shooting percentage uh, of all time? I always thought it was Tongay. Guess again, Craig Simpson was the guy. Uh okay, uh that game tonight, by the way, should mention pregame show gets underway at seven thirty Eastern. Uh, that is hockey central with your host Ron McLean. Uh the puck drops just after eight o'clock. C B C and Sportsnet. Watch this one as the fa- the Florida Panthers looking to stave off elimination as the Golden Knights look to checks notes, win the Stanley Cup after six seasons of existence. It's a great story, folks. Uh, the other great story that we've been following, uh, I don't want to say it's come to a conclusion. It's come to a different part of the process today. Uh, it's the Ottawa Senators' sale. And uh, Michael uh, Michael Andlauer emerges successful so far. Uh, this still has to be approved. And then there are still a number of other questions that I have a ton myself about right now. And who better to answer than Ian Mendez, who's been all over the story from day one from The Athletic. Ian, how are you today?
0: Hey, Jeff. Uh, doing great. How are you?
1: Uh, I'm doing well. So, what, how did you greet this news this morning when the Ottawa Senators made it official that you know, pending league approval, Michael and will be the next owner of the Ottawa Senators? There are other you know, in, uh, the investors in this as well and and partners, but Michael and being the main. Of course, he has to divest interest uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. But your thoughts on on and and how you greeted the news this morning?
0: Yeah, I mean, remarkable, right? I mean, I think this is day 217 of the senators being on the market. If you go back to to November 4th, when the the for sale sign was officially planted in front of the Canadian Tire center, this took longer than anybody I think could have reasonably predicted uh, at the time. Right. So uh, I think there's probably just a sense for a lot of us in this market of, I guess, relief. And like you said, it's um, I'll put it this way. Like they've scored the touchdown. Now they just got to convert the extra point, right? Like this is the point where we're at. Uh, to use a football yeah. analogy. This is essentially, this should be a formality, uh, what we have here in the next couple of weeks, which is a guy in Michael Landlauer, as you mentioned, already owns a stake uh, in the Montreal Canadiens. So he already has that familiarity with the NHL ecosphere, uh, Jeff. I-, I don't see how on yeah. earth they would get to a place where they announce this and then all of a sudden they have to backtrack, right? So this feels like it's a formality. Yeah, It's finally done. And I think it's just, it, like, yeah, relief, I think is the, the number one Uh, feeling, I think, in this market today.
1: Okay, so this entire process, as you mentioned, 217 days. Elliot and I have been talking about this for a while. This deserves a book. Will you write it, Ian Mendez? I would love... I would love this
0: one? Who wouldn't want to, right? Or at the very least, for me, do a deep dive feature (laughs) for The Athletic because I think... and, And again, full credit to Elliot because I think he was the first one about three weeks ago to say... Like, I'd always heard that there was some... Some stickiness here, but not to the point where there was yeah. full-blown anger up until about three weeks ago. And then I think you started to hear a lot of information come out, misinformation. Uh, there was a lot of anger. And then, you know, to, to have a process where multiple bidders walk away, first it was the Remington Group, and then it was, um, uh, you know, yeah. Steve Apostolopoulos. I don't think you see that very often. Usually it's the other way around, where a, a, a team or a league rejects a bitter it's usually not a bitter rejecting a team and so to see that happen two times uh i think is probably worthy of a deep dive story like what happened there that's it, it feels atypical to me although a lot of sale processes think of the pittsburgh penguins jeff when they sold back in 20 i think it was 2021 to fenway sports like i don't even think a lot of us even knew they were on the market at that point or certainly not uh, it wasn't this type of sale mm. process so a lot of these things happen in a cone of silence this one as I said, spread out over 200 days, I think there was some frustration. And then what I'd love to know is from the other groups now that that didn't secure the bid, in addition, obviously, Andlauer, but in addition to Remington and in addition to Apostolopoulos, you have the Kimmels, you have that uh, Nico Sparks group. Like, what are they thinking after putting in weeks or months of, of, uh, you know, their resources, their time, uh, their money, all these things into the bid to ultimately come out short did they feel like the, the main question is, did they feel like the process was done in a fair and transparent manner? That, that's the question I would love to ask them. And if the answer is no, what mm-hmm. happened here, right?
1: So he, here's what I wonder about about the, the bidders, too, and, and, and the Nico Sparks group specifically, because um, this is someone that the NHL um, didn't know very much about. The NHL certainly, you know, to your point, knew plenty about Michael Ann Lauer. Uh, and have worked with him before uh ditto for the kimmel family as well apostolopoulos not so much but they got to know him uh through this process and i, I wonder about the sparks group specifically because i wonder if through all of this and and again i have no way of knowing this because i'm not in the nhl brain trust so all i'm just doing is sitting here and wondering about things and asking questions when you go through a process like this when you look at the landscape right now in the nhl and the success of seattle and a lot of talk about ryan smith the utah jazz owner trying to bring uh, either an expansion team or provide a relocation market in salt lake city Uh, we wonder about atlanta as an expansion market we wonder about houston as an expansion market if arizona goes away uh, i don't think that the nhl will abandon that state i think that they'll want to go back at some point i wonder ian through all of this as they get to know potential new ownership groups if part of this was sure we understand you want to bid for the Ottawa Senators Uh, Michael and Lauer ends up with it at the end but um, not that these other markets might act as consolation prizes, but hey, can we show you a shiny new Atlanta market while we have your attention, or can we show you something in Texas, sir, if you're still interested? You know what I'm getting at here, like the n h l has attracted some some new people to the table here, and I wonder if through all of this we start to find out that you know, uh it didn't work out for this group in Ottawa, but now that they've gone through this process with the NHL with the Ottawa Senators, if they emerge when expansion markets start to emerge again, if you can kind of pick up what I'm putting down there.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it makes sense. And in fact, you know, as you think about, you know, the idea that you just floated a boy, maybe there's a book here or a deep dive story. To me, if you know, we start to poke around and the groups remain fairly silent about that, I mean I don't know that you necessarily want to dump on the process too much if you want to stay in the running, right? You know how this league works, that that sometimes it's best to just hit sure. the high road, don't say anything, don't say that the process was a, uh, you know unmitigated disaster because maybe you won't be invited back into the table. So I, part of me wondered that very thing. I thought, okay, well, if I reach out to these groups and they're very guarded and they don't want to say much, that makes me think that maybe they want to stay in the running for another franchise. And you're right, like this was almost a ready-made uh, process to, to kind of do some initial vetting on some groups on, on Apostolopolis on Sparks, because again, the Kimmels I think are mm-hmm. a little bit of a known entity to the league and, and look, if you're mm-hmm. willing to pay $900 million to a billion U.S. for the Ottawa Senators wouldn't it stand the reason that you'd be willing to pay the same for almost any other team? like Let's be honest here and look at Ottawa, this isn't this is a small market team so if you were willing to pay that for this um, without a guarantee of an arena and all the, the other stuff that, that might go along with it, why wouldn't you be interested in an opportunity in Salt Lake yeah. or Atlanta or, like you said, Houston, Kansas City, pick your, pick your spot? So absolutely, I think uh, yeah. at the very least, these, these, these people who ended up on the, on the podium, a podium finish, but not uh, atop it with the gold medal, I think would absolutely uh, logically be in the running right, for, for something down the road.
1: That's that, that you know what Ian that's the assumption I've been working with this whole time because this process was uh, a very intriguing one this one had celebrity attached to it. Um, <laughs> I, I think that that sort of led into a lot of the information. Uh, sort of running wild. Anytime you attach a celebrity like you know Ryan Reynolds, Snoop Dogg to something, uh, right away the attraction and the attention is there, and people start asking questions. And oh yeah, well let's not worry about this NDA. Don't worry about it. Let's have this conversation. And we all know what happened uh, with with right. a lot of information um, sh- shaking loose. And like that happens. I, I understand it. I, th- I think NDAs are mainly there to protect protect uh, trade secrets more than anything else. Like if you're selling something, it's going to get out. If you're trying to buy something, it's going to get out. I think that's more. To protect investors and trade secrets uh, against competitors, but nonetheless, like I look at this whole bid process and say, this is not just about the Ottawa Senators. This is about other markets and other ownership groups. And also, and you can probably talk to this one, this is about how do we how do we phrase this? A cascading effect now. Now the Ottawa Senators have gone for, you know, the, the the rumored price tag is $950, $950 million. Well, if the Ottawa Senators are worth $950. Let's say, I don't know, Harrison Blitzer want to sell New Jersey. What's that worth? Or if, you know, Ryan Smith wants to get in on, on Salt Lake City, what's an expansion fee going to become? Like all of a sudden, like I know you positioned Ottawa, like, oh, it's this small market, oh shucks kind of, kind of kind of market here, <laughs> a small market team. Um, but this small market team just had a huge effect on the rest of the NHL financially. It's gonna be seen in in, in expansion fees. And it's, it's also going to be seen in uh, the next time a team gets sold. And a lot of this is going to be because of what just happened in Ottawa. Agree or disagree?
0: Yeah, no, 100% I agree. And, and, and I think this is the floor, right? 9.50 will be the floor, your entry ticket to be, be an owner in the NHL. Because if that's what Ottawa is, that's probably what uh, Atlanta or Houston or Salt Lake or whoever, like I said, pick your, pick your market that's probably going to be the entrance price mm-hmm. to get into the door. And, and so it's a really important sale for, for the NHL to set that standard. And I also think, too, as you, you mentioned earlier, you know, Michael Landlauer has to, to divest himself of a percentage of uh, the Montreal Canadiens, which I believe is yep. at 10%. I, I've seen people say 20%. Anyway, whether it's 10 or 20 mm. it's a small percentage of it. But think of what this sale does to that value, right? Like if you're Michael Landlauer and – you're probably thinking to yourself, okay, well, 10% of the Montreal Canadiens now should be, I don't know, like, is it is it a two billion dollar franchise? If Ottawa is worth 950, is is Montreal around two billion? I don't think that's out of the question, and so you know he, he probably sh- uh, sells his his percentage accordingly. And I think you have 31 other owners looking at each other and, and with their investors and partners, and hey, gang, our our value just went up today uh, without us doing a thing, and then that that's all from. Ottawa selling for a record price, which again I'll go back to last summer, and I had somebody tell me, uh, Jeff, that you know I think Ottawa can make they, they could probably sell Ottawa for seven fifty, and I thought, boy, that seems awfully high, doesn't it? Seven fifty, and they're like, yeah, I think this team <laughs> will go for seven fifty, and I thought, okay, and I put it out there, I put it in a in a column last year, I put out seven fifty, <laughs> maybe even eight, and I thought that's that's ludicrous, and here we are. Uh, a year later, so it's it's absolutely had a, uh, going to have a ripple effect on on the other franchises.
1: Now, all the uh, and, and that's a, that's a great point. Um, uh, all, all the rumors have, have gone crazy as well, and people are getting ahead of themselves. And, and And that's okay. I mean, everyone's excited about this sale in Ottawa, and Sens fans, you know, have a real shot in the arm here with uh, with uh, with, a, with a new owner and Michael Andlauer. Um, do you have any idea because listen you pay 950 for something you, you you know you have the right to choose who's gonna who's gonna work for you and who's gonna fill these spots and no one likes to see anyone lose jobs here um but nonetheless like how how sweeping do you think uh the changes will be with the ottawa senators not necessarily on the ice and we do wonder about alex de um, but off the ice, whether it's at managerial or coaching positions, to say, and nothing of the rest of the organization, because as you well know, and you talk to these people, you know them, there's a, there's a lot of nervous people around the Sens right now.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely there are, because I think anytime, it doesn't matter, uh, if a new person comes in to buy the company you work for, your first thought is, am I safe? And that, that goes for whether you work at an accounting firm, an NHL team, wherever you work. If new ownership comes in, the first thing they do is they take a pretty clear-eyed evaluation of the landscape and they, and they put their own people in positions of power. What I think is interesting here is the timing of this brings us right to the precipice of the opening of the NHL season, which is really the next season, which is the, the draft June 28th and pre-agency July 1st. And my feeling on this, Jeff, and you can correct me if I'm wrong and let me know if I'm completely off base, but I think if you pay $950 million for something, you're going to want to have two hands on the wheel during the most important week yeah. of the NHL calendar, right? Like, like, that's the most important week. And I know Ottawa doesn't have a pick until the fourth round, but that's the week where if you want to make some changes, and, and you know, Alex DeBrink, a name that we've heard. Scott Lawton's a name that we've heard. Like, that's the week to do it. And, yeah. and same with free agency. I, I just, I have a hard time believing that Mike, Michael Ann Lauer would be able to pay 950 and then be told okay well we're going to give you the keys on July 15th well that
2: the
0: you know i think a lot of things <laughs> will have passed by then right so i think yeah. and i don't know if we're going to That's a good point. Yeah that's all and so i i think we're going to find out before then and and maybe he's going to have the opportunity to just maybe maybe his plan is to come in and just add people to what's already there i don't know but all i know is i just don't think i think if i was paying 950 million i'd want to say in what's yeah. about to happen, the most important week of
1: the year. That's ex- excellent points, uh, as always. Uh, so, so much for Gary Bettman's hope that uh, that no one breaks any news on game days during the Stanley <laughs> Cup final. That we use off days for that as the Ottawa Senators get sold uh, for a record number here on uh, on the morning where the Stanley Cup could be awarded in Vegas. So. Um, Sorry about that one, Commissioner, but the Ottawa Senators have now been sold, and one part of this saga has now uh, concluded. Uh, Very much on the beat, uh, Ian Mendez from The Athletic. Thanks so much, as always, for sharing your expertise. I always appreciate it, Ian. Thanks, pal. Yeah,
0: thanks for having me, as always, Jeff.
1: Ian Mendez uh, from The Athletic. Maybe he writes the book. There is a book here. There is a book here about this sale, and I think one of the curiosities about it is who dropped out when and why? Now, Remington with, uh, with, with, uh, with, with that bid, with Ryan Reynolds, uh, when and why, whether it was Apostolopoulos, when and why, I, I, I think that, and again, maybe we'll never get that answer. Um, that's a difficult that one. That's, that's going to be a white whale for someone to try to find out those answers. But nonetheless, uh, uh, the news of the day, the Ottawa Senators have been sold. And the New York Rangers have a new head coach. And it is, as Elliot has speculated and reported on previously, uh, Peter LaViolette, whose tour through the Metropolitan Division continues. We've seen him stop various places. Now he's parked at Madison Square Garden. Uh, Vince Bergcogliano from Lohud in USA today joins me in a couple of moments to talk about the La Violette hiring in the Big Apple. The Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment.
0: Everything Raptors, before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: So over the last little while in the NHL, we've seen a couple of things sort of go out the window. Uh, One, uh, NDAs around the Ottawa Senators sale, as Elliot has mentioned a couple of different times. Uh, NDAs, what are these things? We'll just talk freely, thank you very much. And the other is the idea that the NHL has tried to discourage teams from making news that distracts away from the Stanley Cup final. And here we are, uh, a few hours away from the Vegas Golden Knights, facing off against the Florida Panthers. Game 5, uh, Vegas leads the series 3-1. to one. The Cup will be in the house, etc. So will Phil Pritchard and the White Gloves uh, and all of it. And the Ottawa Senators have been sold, as announced this morning and as also announced today. The New York Rangers, one of the biggest teams in the NHL, Uh, has a new coach, and it is Peter Laviolette. So take the idea of not making news on game day in the Stanley Cup final, throw it out the window. Here for comments on Peter Laviolette and his tour through the Metropolitan Division is Vince Ricagliano, our good friend from loha.com and USA Today. Vince, how are you today, pal?
4: Pretty good, Jeff. Finally, finally have some news to talk about officially. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I like the speculation though. Speculation is fun. We throw names out there, and yes, maybe can they, will they?
4: Uh, so it's for Peter a few Lott weeks. For Lott a few weeks, yes, I like that. But...
1: I know, I know. I know you want to get I know you want to get down to the meal I get it like looking at the menu and thinking about what you want to have is fun but eventually you want a plate to arrive
4: yeah Uh, and the plate
1: has arrived and Peter Laviolette is on it for the New York Rangers you're just just some wide brush thoughts I know we're gonna have a lot of fun with you know how many metropolitan division stops is he going to make but uh, Peter Laviolette is the new head coach of the New York Rangers Vince to which you say what
4: I say that I'm not surprised in the least. I had been, I mean, initially he was considered one of the favorites, but I think in the last couple of weeks it became increasingly clear, at least from the people that I was speaking to, that a lot of people expected him to get the job. But I think what caused some curiosity and maybe fueled some doubt was how long it took for them to announce this. I had heard last week that it might be coming as soon as Wednesday, probably by the end of the week, and then it continued to linger, and you couldn't help but wonder what was the holdup. Now, I think what's going to be interesting moving forward, because the reaction from the fan base here is a little bit ambivalent. It's a little bit uninspired. I I think that had this happened earlier, maybe that would have been a little bit different. But the more this dragged out, I think the more it made people think, while are they not thrilled with the options that they have right now? Are they waiting on anybody else? Is there something that maybe they were hoping that mater- would materialize that didn't materialize? And so I think the longer this went on, the more there was kind of that thought. And now it seems like at least the reaction I've gotten from the fan base in the last couple of days is – they're not crazy about this choice. I think when it comes to a guy like LaViolette, who, listen, I mean, the track record is, is really, really good. He's the winningest American coach of all time, eighth all time on the NHL wins list. He's taken three different teams to the Stanley Cup final, which is something that not a lot of coaches mm-hmm. can say that they've done. But there's a certain staleness associated with a guy who will now be on his sixth NHL coaching job and fifth in the Metro division. I mean, Rangers fans have have watched this guy on the opposing bench with the Islanders, with the Hurricanes, with the Flyers, and most recently with the Capitals. So I think there was certainly at least a vocal segment of the fan base that was wondering, you know, can we try something fresh? Can we try something new? Is there no one out there who inspires confidence from the standpoint of, you know, maybe bringing in some innovative ideas, maybe bringing in something a little more youthful, something, you know, where maybe you might feel like he can relate to the players a little bit more, you know, a coach along those lines. But I certainly am not surprised that this is where they ultimately landed because I do believe that whether it's management or whether it's ownership, they wanted someone proven because they believe that this team should be competing for a Stanley Cup next season. And I don't think that they were going to feel confident enough to entrust that type of pressure and that type of responsibility to a guy who had never done the job before. We can debate whether that's the right mindset or not, but, but that kind of circled us back to Laviolette. And when no one else emerged, when the situation in Pittsburgh was mm-hmm. settled, once Kyle Dubas made it clear that Mike Sullivan was staying, I know there's still a little curiosity in what's going to happen with Toronto, but I, I think they were waiting to see maybe if other options came available. And as it became clear that that probably wasn't going to happen, they sort of circled back to Laviolette.
1: You know, I want to pick up on something that you said there about Rangers fans have seen Peter LaViolette and his teams competing against the Rangers for a number of years. And, you know, even though they were at the time, and they still are uh, in their infancy, uh, I can recall a lot of Vegas fans being really upset um, when they hired Peter DeBoer because as a young team, they had been conditioned to, and we saw it play out in the playoffs as well, hate everything about the San Jose Sharks. Uh, and that included the coach. And when when Pete DeBoer took over, there were I think a lot of them who I don't know had like significant misgivings uh, about about him behind the bench in Vegas. And there were like I'll just be blunt like there were some that were flat out angry uh, and almost felt like betrayed. Like how dare you go to one of our main rivals here to to bring a coach in? I, I don't think it's anything like that, or at least it doesn't feel like that to me with the Rangers. But you're a lot closer to it. You know, what's the level of, I don't know, skepticism, anger that, you know, Peter Laviolette, who's coached against the Rangers so many years, is now leading the charge?
4: I don't know if it's so much not wanting him because they look at him as a rival or anything like that. But I even think if you look at his most recent stop in Washington, I believe it was. Two first-round exits, and then they didn't even make the playoffs, and they had a losing record this year. Now we know that that's an aging roster, and I'm sure that we could come up with reasons why the Capitals didn't have a ton of success under him. But again, I think more what I'm sensing from the fan base is just that sort of stale feeling. You know, they, I think, with Gerard Gallant, were willing to give the experienced guy who had been there and done that a chance. But I think when that didn't work out. I think they were sort of longing for someone who would bring in some fresher ideas, somebody who felt like a little more of an outside-the-box hire, a little more of an innovative hire. And to me, at least the feedback mm-hmm. that I'm getting from fans, I think that is more of the sense. I don't think it's because you know they hated him when he was with the Flyers or anything like that. I mean, I, I know they did for the most part at the time, but I think they're willing to accept anybody who they feel like is going to give the team a better chance to win and we can talk about that as well because I do think there are reasons that you can look at him compared, at least to Gerard Gallant, and say that this does appear in some respects to be an upgrade for the Rangers. But mm-hmm. I also don't sense a ton of excitement right now. And again, to me, it sort of comes back to that recycled feeling—you know, the same names always in the coaching cycles—and and that maybe not juicing up the fans as much as somebody who would be less proven and would come with more question marks, but they also would perceive as having more upside. You know, everybody wants to find their own version of the John Cooper or the Jared Bednar or the Rod Brindamore. Uh, but, you know, I don't <laughs> think the Rangers, yes. I don't think the Rangers felt like there was an option out there for them that would sort of meet that criteria.
1: Who, Who? I was going to say who could have been that guy? I mean, I think a lot of us wondered, like I'll be blunt, I think a lot of us wondered about Patrick Waugh and there's a a Christery association through the Colorado Avalanche and a, and a Stanley Cup uh, as well. But was there like what was there a candidate out there that fans wanted that they didn't get with with Peter Laviolette, knowing full well that. At the end of the day, too, like this is one of the most crucial markets in the NHL. This is one of the biggest teams uh, in the league. There are certain pressures that come along with coaching uh, the New York Rangers that don't come along with all due respect to to coaching other teams in the league. Was there one candidate or a couple of names that, you know, in, in talking to Rangers fans, they were more interested in than Peter Laviolette?
4: I think the dream scenario, not only for fans, but for the Rangers the last couple of years, I can give you a couple names that I know, or at least I believe, that internally they've had some interest in. They were I was very curious a couple of years ago if Rod Brindamore was going to end up sticking and extending with Carolina, obviously. I believe We saw what happened there. I believe that, uh, yep. Yeah, Barry Trotz is a name that I believe and I've heard this from multiple sources they reached out to during the season this year before he ended up going to Nashville to be their GM to gauge his interest if they did decide to make an in-season change and I think the hot name for them this summer was Mike Sullivan now that always felt like a long shot it always seemed like the new ownership group in Pittsburgh intended to keep him around but there was this lingering curiosity before they eventually named Kyle Dubas as the new GM about whether or not there was any chance that he would shake loose and I do believe that that if he did that that would have been Chris Drury's number one choice so those big name guys I think have always sort of been the pie in the sky dream scenario but I also do sense from uh, at least a portion of the fan base that there was a curiosity about trying something fresh and new and I think there were people that were excited when they found out Mm -hmm. that Spencer Carberry was was having conversations with the Rangers. And listen, if he goes to D.C. and has success there, I think Rangers fans are going to look back and say, did you let him get away? Now, I think, at least from people I've talked to, it sounds like Washington was always the favorite there. They had the connection from his time in the AHL with Hershey. And, you know, maybe they didn't even have a chance of prying him away, but I do think that that would have been a guy that probably got the fans excited. Jay Leach, the assistant from Seattle, who's kind of been a hot name on the coaching circuit, I think there was some curiosity surrounding him. And right here in the Rangers organization, Chris Knobloch, who's had some success with their AHL team in Hartford, he's a guy that Chris Drury handpicked four years ago to come and join the organization. And, you know, I think a lot of people think highly of him. I think Drury thinks highly of him, but I just think, They weren't ready to hand the reins over to a a guy that, you know, whether you want to call him a novice or a first-timer or whatever. I just think they weren't willing to do that. But those are a lot of the names that I was getting emails and tweets about and things along those lines. And I do think in the case of Carberry, Leach, and Knobloch, they were at least discussed internally. But I, I never sensed that it really got to a point where they were taking them super seriously.
1: Yeah, for for Carberry, I can I can tell you that that came down to uh, Washington and Nashville, and Washington was the team that uh, just bluntly offered the fourth year, like that, yeah. that. that was that was a deciding factor for uh, for for Spencer Carberry. Um, okay, so but uh, uh, geez, only time for one more question for you, Vince. You're so good. Um, what is then? We'll finish on this one. You're Peter Laviolette. What do you need to do, like right away, with this team? What needs to happen? What needs to change with the rangers
4: three quick things i'll give you number one is five on five the rangers need to get better at generating consistent offensive five on five and i know that it, they hope at least that laviolette's aggressive system which you know four checks aggressively kind of hunts for those rush opportunities and allows his defensemen to activate in the offensive zone uh, you look at the statistics the last three years while he was in washington at 5-on-5, five five, whether it's actual goals or expected goals, the Capitals outperformed the Rangers over the last three years. So improving 5-on-5 five five play, specifically 5-on-5 five five offense, is going to be one of the main tasks on his to-do list. I also do wonder about how he will get along with some of the Rangers' star players. Guys like Artemi Panarin and, and Mika Zabanajad and some of these guys that are highly paid veterans who are sort of locked in for the foreseeable future with the Rangers – they need to get more out of those guys, and I think they need a coach who's going to be able to communicate with them. And those guys, I think, are sort of thoughtful, at times introspective, maybe a little sensitive, and Laviolette's known as a fiery guy, so I'm very curious how those relationships are, are, are going to play out. And, and I do think that, that that is going to be a really big key for him, getting more out of those stars and getting more out of the team at five-on-five. Those are two big areas that I would look to 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 him for, and and think it's going to be crucial for him to help the Rangers in those areas if they're going to have success while he's here.
1: 30 seconds. If you can do it on Alexi Lafreniere, like on the, on the, on the scale, on the the ladder of importance, things to get taken care of and, uh, and, and turn the, turn the career around. How important is it for LaViolette to start clicking with Lafreniere?
4: Very important, and I think that's another thing we can hit on as well is how is he going to work with the young players because while the Rangers do have some veteran guys who are around 30 and are going to be really critical to their success, they do have this young core as well of Lafreniere, Kako, Heedle, Keandre Miller, Braden Schneider, and I think continuing their development is really, really important. And like a lot of veteran coaches, the concern is, is he going to shy away in a win-now situation from leaning on the kids in favor of the veteran players. And I think that's going to be really, really interesting to watch how that unfolds under Laviolette. But yeah, Lafreniere, you know, I think as far as his next contract, we kind of know what that's going to look like. I've been hearing two year bridge deal, probably similar to what Capo Kako got maybe a little higher AAV, maybe like, let's say about 2.5 million a season, I think is a good estimate. So I think that there's not a whole lot of uh, wondering or intrigue there, but as far as, How do you help him take the next step? That's going to be a big thing for Laviolette, and you hope that he gives guys like that more opportunity and doesn't shy away from them because of the expectations that are going to be on this team.
1: Absolutely. Vince, we're up against it. Thanks, as always, for stopping by. You be well, pal.
4: You too, Jeff. Thanks for having me, man.
1: Vince Mercogliano, thanks to Vince for stopping by. Ian Mendez, Craig Simpson, Ryan Huska, Elliot Friedman. Thank you, and The Brain Trust. Marchese, Kennedy, Rolnick. Thank you.